What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hey, beautiful people, welcome back to Forever Young. I'm Dr. John Lakey. And I'm Dr. Payman Daniel Port. And today we are definitely excited uh, to introduce the newest addition to the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Group. This will definitely catapult this practice into the next level, and uh, we're so excited. We are incredibly excited to introduce Dr. Cameron Resident. Um, with a very, very long and impressive resume that we're going to go over. But today we're really going to talk about how he got to where he is um, and how difficult it is for a plastic surgeon to uh, become a plastic surgeon from um, when he's a little kid since he's <laughs> now, now he's a mature young man to where he is now. So um, with all further ado, I'd like to introduce Dr. Reside. Uh Just going to give you a quick bio on him, and he'll fill in the rest. Uh, undergraduate uh, work was done at Northwestern University, which is the Ivy League of uh, the, the Midwest. Um, his, his, he went back home to New Jersey and did medical school, and then he got into the very, 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 very good probably one of the best programs in the country, the UCLA Combined Plastic Surgery Program, which is a seven-year program. And then we're lucky enough to have him sitting in between us now. So with all further ado, welcome. Thank you, guys. Um, I'm a big fan of this podcast. It's an honor to be here and uh, an honor to join these two um, people I, I admired for a long, long time in practice. And uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm blessed Thank you. Like I've told everybody, I'm extremely fortunate to be here in the practice. And, um, uh, you know, as you alluded to, you know, the road to becoming a plastic surgeon is, um, is a hard one. And people who actually go through that process know uh, what it takes. Um, unfortunately, something that we, we've all talked about day in and day out is this idea that um, the industry is full of people who, you know, didn't go through that process. And so what, what sets that, you know, what is the difference there? Why does that matter? I think it comes down to patient safety and um, the quality of the procedures that are performed and also the risk of complications. I mean, every surgeon has, has complications, but the bottom line is that if you go through the process of um, the many years of training and schooling, it's less likely that that's going to happen. Um, and, uh, you know, that's why I did it. And that's, that's why I joined you guys because, I value, you know, safety and people who put that first. So we definitely appreciate that. And, um, you know, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think if you were to look up plastic surgeon within a 10 mile radius on Yelp, you'd probably find 400 different hits. Yeah. And when you actually, you know, look at the list and see that 
Some aren't even physicians. Um, It's crazy because, you know, the public obviously looks at a few different things. You know, now in our quote unquote woke society, we have more Instagram and we have photos and before and afters and things like that. Uh, but I think what people really look at is uh, a lot is price. And so, yeah. you know, you have to be wary that if something is a little too affordable yeah. that, uh, you know, you, you know, it's so funny. I, I see this post by Mike Nayak mm-hmm. and he always says there's these three circles that kind of intertwine and, and one is to be good. Yes. The other is to be fast and the others to be cheap. Mm-hmm. And he said, you, you you know, there's certain things that you can't be, you can be fast and good, mm-hmm. but you'll never be uh, good and cheap. Uh, it, it's so funny how that works because, you know, experience yeah. does dictate that. So, you know, why don't you tell us a little bit where you're from, give us the backstory. Yeah. And yeah. I want I want some detail here because I think, uh, you know, I want our listeners to know that it's not just going to school. Yeah. It's how you get there, what you have to do, and the hurdles that you have to come across. So. Yeah. And, and when you do answer this, I also want to know why plastic surgery? Um, you know, you, you were at the top of your class, and I know you were at Northwestern and at Rutgers, so you could have really done anything. You could have gone into any field of medicine. Um, why plastic surgery? Um, and, you know, we'll leave it at you. We'll give this to you and let you talk. We want our listeners to really just get to know you. So, um, you know, it's, I think it's important when you, when you get to know your doctor, first and foremost, is to know where they come from, like you guys said. And so, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate to come from a family of doctors and people who, um, you know, care for patients. And so that was my upbringing. I definitely, like, as a little kid, would go to my parents' office and see them taking care of patients. And um, I think that is ingrained within me, and it's super important. I, you know, it's something that drew me to medicine in the first place. But I always knew that you know my my role in medicine wouldn't be to to manage blood pressure. I I, um, I was very creative, and I love um, I'm a very visual person, uh, and so I I always knew that about myself. And I knew that if I was to go into medicine, it would be something artistic and visual. Um, and so that's what drew me to plastic surgery. I um, I'm definitely um, you know, someone who loves to work with his hands. And I think you have to be as a surgeon, you mm-hmm. have to really like value that uh, aspect of it. Um, but also, you know, like the taking care of patients part is so important. And that's something that is underrated, I think, in plastic surgery. It's not just the glamorous, you know, Beverly Hills um, plastic surgery, you know, um, model where you just do the surgery. The, the reason why I joined you guys is because I see you as being a plus doctors and people who care about patients, and that you know that's what it comes down to. Thank you, thank you, buddy. So, um, so the, listen, where'd you grow up? Oh yeah, bring me I missed, through. I your... missed that part. <laughs> no, no, no. no <laughs> I went on my I went on my spiel about uh, yeah. Uh, uh, no, and I love that because it it you see some of the really good plastic surgeons, yeah. and they do have that artistic quality. They can sketch things out, or you can see visually see something that another surgeon may not be able to. And so, um, you know, this is one of those fields where you you know as well as I yeah. do, there's 20 ways to do the same thing. And it's choosing your own techniques, but each one you have an artistic eye. So, you know, I think those, those are great points. Yeah. So where, where are you from? Um, I, I was born in New York City, raised uh, in New York City, and then, you know, moved out to New Jersey. Um, and I think, you know, that, that experience was, was um, huge because, you know, I've, I've lived in, on the East Coast, I've lived in the Midwest, I, you know, moved out to LA. And so 
I've, I've gotten different perspectives and, you know, um, it, it's, it's valuable and I, I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, I, you know, the thing about my upbringing that I think is, is cool is the fact that I truly, you know, grew up with medicine and all around me. And so it's, you know, it's like second nature and, um, I love it. Sure. Yeah. Listen, I, you so know, he's, he's, he's leaving a couple of things out. I'm going I'm to fill it in because I know him pretty well. <laughs> um, so, so mom and dad are both, both doctors, but at the same time, both grandparents, um, both of his grandfathers were doctors. And it, it's really something because my grandpa was a doctor. And, and, and one of the reasons that I became a, a doctor and then became a surgeon is because of my grandfather. Um, he, was, he was somebody I really was my role model. I looked up to him. And, and I spoke to you about this too, and, and you lived it. You saw it. It's something to really, it's, it's very different. I, John and I talk about this all the time. And, and John says, you know, my, my kids want to do exactly as I do. And you do. And, and, and as, as your father and as your grandfather being such amazing role models, it built such a high standard for you to meet. And I think that's something that, you know, is, is, it doesn't mean that everyone out there has to have a father or grandfather as a doctor, but this really, he was, he was, he, he was striving the whole time to, to get to that goal. And I think he's there. And I think it's really, really just commendable and very important to see. Yeah. I, uh, you know, exactly that point. And I think, like you said, you don't, you don't have to have a family member in medicine uh, at all to be a great physician, but I, you know, it just from an early age drew me to it. And it made me realize that this is what I wanted to do with my life. And, you know, a lot of people, I think, unfortunately are motivated by other things, you know, uh, whether, you know, just, um, but like taking care of people is, is the number one thing, right? I mean, that's like, that's why we did this. It was yep. like, cause we want people to be happy with themselves and um, that's my number one priority. So, Definitely. Yeah. And, and his brother is now becoming an orthopedic surgeon. So yeah, it's, uh, listen, it's not nonstop. Listen, nonstop. mom and dad did well. So there's, there's no doubt there. We have some exciting news on the Beverly Hills MD front. As a thank you to our loyal podcast listeners, we've created a special text offer for 20% off site-wide on any of our skincare products at beverlyhillsmd.com. All you need to do is text the word podcast to 33961 to get your 20% discount site-wide. By signing up via text, you agree to receive recurring automated promotional and personalized marketing text messages from Beverly Hills MD at the cell number used when signing up. Consent is not a condition of any purchase. Reply help for help and stop to cancel. Message frequency varies. Message and data rates may apply. Visit attn.tv forward slash Beverly Hills MD forward slash terms.html for terms and attnl.tv forward slash p slash pe for privacy. Just text podcast to 33961 for 20% off any of our skincare products at beverlyhillsmd.com. Plus, you'll get a special access to new products, exclusive sales, and more. This is Dr. John Lakey at Forever Young. Hope you're enjoying the show. Dr. Daniel Poor and I will be back after a quick break. I think, you know, um, you had mentioned uh, that you had started at Northwestern. And, and the interesting part is, you know, I think everybody out there knows how difficult it is to get into top tier schools, Ivy League schools, um, 
but it's not just getting there. It's what you did during that time that set the stage for everything else. Maybe you can tell us about it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, I, I, was a chemistry major in college. And, you know, of course, like we go through so much training of pre-med and everyone, everyone knows a pre-med, you know, and how hard they work. And then beyond that, so you, you know, you have to go through those courses, then you have to get into medical school and every year it gets more and more competitive. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a ton of, um, I think stress that goes into that. Right. But it's hard work and, and then you make it to medical school. And then at that point you're like, wait a minute, you know, I want to be a plastic surgeon. And in my case, that was, that wasn't negotiable. It was, this is what I want to do. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to accept like, I'm not, yeah, Yeah, seriously. I mean, I wouldn't have, I could not have seen myself, you know, a lot of people are like, well, you should, you know, as a backup, think about some other field, you know, I just could not imagine doing anything else. And therefore, you know, it was like hit the books. And also, you know, the thing about medical school that I love that I hope never changes is that Med students are evaluated not only just on their book smarts, but how they take care of patients. And in in order to get into plastic surgery residency, you have to excel um, in in showing that and in how you take care of patients, your bedside manner, uh, things that translate ultimately into being a good doctor and good surgeon. But uh, that's how we're, you know, that that is one aspect of my medical education that I loved was being evaluated and, and, you know, people kind of telling you, you know, you know, how to you know improve on that, and so medical education has come a long way for sure. Now, I, you're being very humble, so we're going to take it back because we have a lot of people that listen to this podcast that that are very interested in becoming doctors. We have mm-hmm. students mm-hmm. and 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 college students and medical students, and and it's been a while for Dr. Lake and I since we've been there. So things have changed, and I think perhaps they've even become more competitive. So if you don't mind, just let's dumb it down for a second. Talk about you go to college. And you have to take some prerequisite courses. And then there's there's a medical college admissions test too. Yeah. So, and then boards and all that. Take us through all of that and how difficult it is to prepare and then to get in and and, and the, the interview process and the admission process and the different steps of all of these and how to get in there. Yeah, absolutely. I think the most um, interesting process is, you know, the medical school to residency admission process is extremely competitive. And, you know, people, um, including anyone out there, you know, who's, who's going through it knows how challenging that is, um, especially for plastic surgery and, you know, other fields like dermatology, very competitive. Um, plastic surgery consistently is the most competitive. And, and the reason for that, you know, is just a lot of really smart people want to be plastic surgeons. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, what it comes down to is showing that you want to do something, you know, more with the field. You want to push the field forward. And, you know, especially at a place like UCLA where I trained, that was a priority was knowing, um, you know, that this is, this is going to be an individual who's going to be a leader in the field. It doesn't have to be somebody who works in the hospital, but it's someone who has like that, you know, within them where they want to push the field forward. And that's something I definitely uh, hold myself accountable for and mm-hmm. want to do. So, and, yeah. and the timeline real quick is, yeah. so four years of college, yeah. four years of med school. That's right. And then how did residency work for you? Because it's very different for everyone. Yeah. Right? So just kind of tell So, us. you know, um, on, you know, it has changed considerably over the past 10 years. Uh, I'll say there are more and more of what are called integrated plastic surgery programs. So in other words, you know, uh, back in the day, you know, people would go from medical school, do general surgery, and then do plastic surgery, just like you guys. Yes. So, so, so he, he's calling us old back, yeah. in, the, back in the day. <laughs> yeah. I would never, I would never. <laughs> back in the day, meaning a uh, little, little more than like a couple of years ago, yeah. um, that's how the model worked. Nowadays, you know, straight from medical school, 
school, we go to the training. And I think it, that's been amazing. That has changed the field because I spent um, six years doing clinical training and then one year of research um, in plastic surgery. So seven years total. And, you know, that was all plastic surgery. It was all like from day one, you know, you're on a plastic surgery rotation, you're doing... Um, you're, you're exposed to the field. And so we get a lot of uh, reps, so to speak. So when you come out, you know, you feel very comfortable managing, you know, plastic sur surgery problems, reconstructive surgery, um, you know, consults. And, and so uh, the field has changed, but definitely for the better. I'm super grateful. Interestingly, I, I think it's better as well. Um, you know, Dr. Dr. Lakey and I did a traditional five years of general surgery um, and then two years of plastic surgery. Uh, I, I do think that there's a part of what you said that, that that's, yes, I do think it's better for a plastic surgeon. Uh, I would have much rather have done seven years of plastic surgery because, again, my interest in it, like you, yeah. was a lot more geared towards plastics than it was towards general surgery. Um, the one thing that I do love that Dr. Lakey and I have is we have the critical care knowledge and, and the actual fundamental medical knowledge that we would have never had if, if we didn't have the general surgery background. But I think you got that too from being there for so long. Mm -hmm. um, so I do think that the, that the new integrated model probably better and it's more beneficial for the people that are getting taken care of. So um, you're bringing that extra little oomph for us. Thank you. And you, and you have to realize for those listeners out there, uh, and again, we thank you so much for, for listening to us. And the whole objective here, obviously, is to introduce our new star. Uh, but we also want to cement the idea that it is an arduous process to get to where he is now. Uh, you know, and I, I wanted to focus on the fact that, listen, he wanted to do plastic surgery. That's great. Uh, you know, there are thousands of individuals that want to do that. You know, coming out of Rutgers Medical School is always a good thing, but you have to be top of your class. And then, uh, you know, and, and from what I understand, you were Alpha Omega Alpha, yeah. which is top 10% yeah. of your class. Yeah. And so, listen, it's not easy to do that. So now when you go through a residency interview and things like that, you have to imagine there are hundreds of applicants for a few spots. And so, I, you know, it's extremely commendable. Um, you're at one of the top programs and, uh, you yeah. know, we're, we're thankful that we got you. I'm, hey, I'm, uh, like I've said many times, I mean, you know, it's, this field um, is so cool because, you, you know, relies on mentorship and people who are, you know, you admire and uh, definitely even during my training, having met you guys, um, I realized, you know, it's so rare to, to have, first of all, people who, as I've said many times, are still best friends, partners, and um, that that is above any form of training. And, you know, that's just being a good human being. And that's something I've always admired about you two. Um, and I feel extremely fortunate to be here. So, yeah. you know, I, I, well, thank you for that. I think, um, you know, it is, it's, uh, we have a unique practice and, and you're the perfect addition to it because I think your personality is very similar. Um, what, you know, we talk about some of the things that you, you like about residency and you, you go through it. And obviously we know it's a difficult process. Were there any things that you disliked about residency that you don't think you could do again? Uh, you know, for me, I remember because we did general surgery. I don't know that I could do transplant again. It was a, yeah. it was it was a very time consuming rotation. But um, is there anything that you disliked? And who was, you know, name a solid mentor along the way, or a few of them that yeah. you can credit where you're at now because of them? Yeah, um, that's a great question. I think, you know, the training is is 
very hard. You know, at just um, I think any surgical training, any plastic surgery, uh, general surgery training is very um, challenging because you're taking call uh, all the time. So I remember, you know, for almost an entire year, every third day doing 30 hours in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, that's just one example. I mean, you guys have done the same thing. Um, um, and you know, that builds, I think, a lot of the doctoring skills that you need to, to perform. And that's something that sets us apart from, you know, like you mentioned, the internal medicine doctors doing liposuction or, you know, the um, even OBGYNs who are doing, you know, um, uh, cosmetic procedures. And I, I think it makes you realize that um, if you had a family member who wanted these kinds of procedures, that you'd want someone who has a, a, a true plastic surgery training. Mm-hmm. To answer the, the second question, you know, I, I've always believed in the importance of mentorship and I credit, um, you know, truly the uh, 12 faculty members at UCLA who trained me mm-hmm. in all different aspects of plastic surgery. So plastic surgery is super cool because we do, you know, reconstructive surgery, we do aesthetic surgery, we do cleft surgery, pediatrics. So every day was like a completely different experience until I realized that I wanted to uh, devote my life to you know a certain um, aspect of plastic surgery, and at that time, I I sought mentors who you know were more specialized in aesthetic surgery, and so mm-hmm. um, you know just uh, super lucky to be able to to have those. Was there a pivotal moment that made you choose that? Because listen, we've got yeah. colleagues that say, "Look, I want to do burn surgery," I, and they go down that path, or people who say, I, "All I want to do is craniofacial yeah. and clefts." What was the pivotal moment that set you on this path? I, you know, I am so incredibly enamored of uh, and, you know, love, I have so much love for reconstructive surgery. And I think you have to, Mm -hmm. to be a really good plastic surgeon in general, you have to understand the fundamentals that are taught in reconstruction. Um, The reason I personally love aesthetic surgery is because uh, I see it as being the highest responsibility uh, because you're taking people who are healthy and making them happier with themselves. Well, Definitely. And, Definitely. you know, it, it's it's something that I, you know, the three people here do not take lightly at all mm-hmm. um, because it's, you know, the highest responsibility. This is a healthy individual who wants to live their life in a, in a better and be happier and more confident with themselves. You're not taking someone who's sick and making them, you know, like making sure they stay alive. You're taking someone who's walking around on the street and happy and hoping to enhance their life. Sure. And so I love, you know, kind of a game of millimeters, so to speak, and, and, you know, making people um, a better version of themselves. Sure. We hope you're enjoying this episode. If you'd like more information about our practice, you can check out our Instagram. It's Plastics Docs, P-L-A-S-T-I-X-D-O-C-S on Instagram for more information. Dr. Daniel Poor and I will be back after a quick break. Along the same lines, um, what are your favorite procedures? And, and if you can tell yourself, hey, uh, you know, because Dr. Lakey and I started and, and we knew he he loved doing facial surgery, facelifts, rhinoplasties, eyelids, and I loved breast and body, and it yeah. really works well. Um, what is what is your if you could say, hey, Doctor Resida is going to be famous in twenty years for <laughs> something, which he will, I guarantee you. Yeah, yeah, what definitely. will it be? Oh man, uh, this is all this is all being recorded, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! Oh yeah. my god! We want to play this back oh, in twenty years. Oh my god! By the way. Oh no! Yeah. This is I'm gonna I'm gonna watch this uh, in a few years. Um, 
I, you know, I love, uh, I, you know, like Dr. Lakey, love um, facial aesthetics and rhinoplasty specifically, um, but I also love breast surgery. So, um, you know, they're like, uh, they're, you know, I'm sitting between two people I, I admire in two different arms of plastic surgery, but I, I love both. Um, I think that, you know, anything that requires um, precision and anything that requires um, attention to detail, you know, that's really what I'm obsessed with is kind of this idea of, um, you know, making, taking someone and, and um, listening to them first and foremost, like, what do they want? You know, what is it that bothers them about their body? And I think one, you know, one thing I took away from my mentors, the best doctors I've ever had the privilege of training with is that they're excellent listeners. Um, and so, and so, you know, when I do consults, I don't rant like I'm doing now, you know, I'm, 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 I'm just sitting there listening because you have to listen, um, and, and then, you know, speak of course at the end, but the main thing is to be an amazing listener. Yep. Wow. Well said. I, uh, you know, the one thing that I wanted to, uh, touch on here was, you know, when we went through residency, I mean, we finished, that was 14 years ago. Um, what has changed in plastic surgery? What are some of the newer trends that you see? Are you going to incorporate any of them into your practice? And, um, you know, what can you see in the future? I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, we always look at future trends and, and I think you can see things that have happened over the last 10 years, five years, two years, one year. And the best person to ask is the, the guy yeah. who's been going through it. Yeah, I mean, our, our field has changed so much. Um, I think, you know, for the for the people in medicine listening, you know, a lot more um, microsurgeries being done and reconstruction. Um, but I think more than anything, we're getting so much more scientific mm-hmm. about um, how we how we approach uh, aesthetic surgery. And so the outcomes research and all this stuff. So I, I was very blessed and fortunate to do um, to be a part of that at UCLA, actually looking at the results of rhinoplasty using measurements rather than just kind of, this is how I do it. You know, this is like, doesn't this look amazing? You know, we're actually getting to the point where we're measuring millimeters and saying, this is, you know, what, what, uh, will look, you know, the best. And, and we've actually, uh, polled patients and, you know, seen, what succeeds and what doesn't. Um, and so, you know, the field is, is moving forward. I've always loved plastic surgery because of the fact that, you know, there's, um, we're not afraid to innovate. Yep. And I think, you yep. know, the main, to be specific, I think something you and I spoke about yesterday, uh, fat grafting, mm-hmm. you know, fat grafting, something that like 20 years ago is, you know, frowned upon. Um, and, you know, nowadays has become a mainstay uh, in facial aesthetics. So plastic surgeons, I think, are innovators. They're, they're, um, they think outside the box. And, you know, the training model uh, is a reflection of that. Definitely. You, you know, it's very, it's very true what you're saying, because 15 years ago when we were training, Dr. Lakey and I went to a lot of, you know, there were courses and then a lot of meetings. And the common theme in every meeting was, look at my results. This is how I do it. Do it my way. And really there wasn't this, this, what you're saying is this evidence-based type of medicine that has been practiced throughout medicine wasn't really used in plastic surgery 25 years ago, 20 years ago, you know, 15 years ago. It was changing a little bit because now we've got the technology with 3D imaging and 3D printing. And But really, for the younger guys that are coming out there, for just some guy to say, you know, 
And God bless all of the older guys that are out there say, do it my way because it was good. Well, that guy that might have been doing it his way might have been more talented, might have done something a little different. You might have missed that step. Mm -hmm. But now you can reproduce it. And thanks to people that you trained with, like a, yeah. like a Dr. Rustan, yeah. you know, people that really take pride in trying to teach the next guy in this is how I do my measurements. This is how I, I approach this so I can have the best, best possible outcome. So I, I completely agree with what you're saying. And I do think it's going to make a huge difference for all the new people that are coming and hopefully for some of the old curmudgeons that are stuck in their way. Um, there's one Self included. Thing, absolutely. There's one thing I wanted to ask you because I do think there's been a big kind of shift in training um, and it's just the sign of the times is um, gender reassignment or, or, or top surgery or I'm going to kind of let you talk about this for a, a little bit because again, we're not that far out of training, almost 15 years. So let's say 14. Um, but the training for us, we didn't have a lot of that. We had very little yeah. of that because it wasn't something that was very common. Now it's become a lot more common. How much of it did you do in your training? So forth, so on. Yeah, um, you know, it's a great question. And I think um, this is something that's true in plastic surgery training across the board is that uh, every, you know, 10 years, there'll be kind of a new um, uh, theme, you know, and Always. so... The, the basics are still the same. Like, you know, of course, we do a ton of um, facelifts in our training, rhinoplasty, um, breast surgery. But in addition to that, you know, I, I was fortunate to have um, excellent training in, uh, in, in transgender surgery. So whether that be facial surgery or top surgery. Um, so we, you know, across the board, we've done a ton of those at UCLA. Uh, and fortunate to take care of trans patients. It's uh, a you know, it's a subset of patients who I think for a long, long time, uh, you know, neglected by our healthcare system. And so, you know, we're uh, at UCLA as a center of excellence for it. And, you know, just as a, as a part of that, I was able to, to train and do um, some very interesting procedures. So, you know, along the same subject of like measurements in plastic mm -hmm. surgery and increasing precision, we, you know, I didn't realize this at all until I, you know, did this training, but what makes a male face look male and what makes a female face look female comes down to measurements, right? Definitely. It's all just measurements. And if you look at, we would do CT scans of these patients and, you know, for example, um, uh, you know, if, if it's a male to female um, transition, then, you know, that relies on uh, addressing the forehead and, and different um, projection and, and a lot of the same precision and uh, techniques that are used in cosmetic surgery, but we're using them to, um, to kind of make, to address gender dysphoria. Mm -hmm. so. Wow. Yeah. Listen, it's a, it, I mean, it's definitely a, a field that has been pioneered in the last few years. I know it's been done for a long time, but um, I shouldn't say pioneered, I should say catapulted into yeah. the next level. So, um, and uh, going along those lines, I think the interesting part of, of surgery, what we kind of alluded to in the beginning of the episode was everything that you've been through, all the training that you've done, and the very fact that now we're using data to move things forward really shows the importance of the safety aspect of this type of surgery. Again, you yeah. had mentioned you're taking a healthy individual yeah. and altering them. Um, and so the complication rate has to be really low. Yeah. And they, you know, you, you knew even the last, what, six years when the Brazilian butt lift yeah. had so many deaths because people were doing the wrong things. Right. Um, they formed a task force and they improved the quality of care. And now 
you know, for board certified individuals or well-trained individuals, they know exactly what needs to be done in order to keep a patient safe. Right. And I think that's so important for you, you know, coming out of residency. And, and Pay and I talked about this before. I don't think I've, we were never as smart is when we came out of residency. You knew every aspect of plastic surgery. And then you slowly fall into your niche and yeah. you'll, you'll you know, find out what you like the best. But I think right now you're so well-trained, uh, you can operate from head to toe and, and uh, you're gonna get great results. Now, there's, there is one thing I, I kind of want to say because it's, it's probably a question a lot of people have out there. Why did we bring on a new colleague mm-hmm. and why you? And, and I'll kind of answer this and I'll let Dr. Lakey say a couple of things as well. Um, over the last couple of years, we've been approached by a lot of people that have been training. Um, and different people have come into our operating room and observed us. Some people have even spent weeks with us and days with us and, and, and kind of shadowed us to, 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 um, to see our style or possibly even join us. Um, and when we first implemented the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery group, um, we meant it to be a group and, and, you know, maybe one day a multidisciplinary group with dermatologists and other things, but really a plastic surgery group. Um, and Dr. Lakey and I were the founders and we started it, but we did want more people as time went on. Um, interestingly enough, this was very serendipitous in its own way because we met outside of the world of medicine. Um, and it was more of a friendship that happened and, and we kind of said, hey, why don't you come hang out with us in the operating room? And it worked so nicely, um, just our personalities, that then we said, okay, let's see how skilled you are and how smart you are and how you are with patients. And we saw all of it firsthand. It wasn't something that we got a recommendation letter from someone. It wasn't that somebody said, this guy's really good. We saw it with our eyes. And, and Dr. Lake and I looked at each other and said, hey, this guy's perfect. He, he, he falls into the, the, this the style of this practice perfectly. Um, and you felt the same way. So it was one of these, one of these kind of, I want to call it a match made in heaven in, in a way, um, because it worked on both ways. And mm-hmm. it wasn't like we put an ad out and said, hey, we're looking for a colleague. It kind of just really worked. And, and that's what I wanted to tell people out there. We really weren't necessarily looking for someone. It just really worked out. You finished at the right time. We had the space and we have the volume and it, and it really kind of, it's a perfect, perfect addition to our practice. So yep, I personally want to welcome you. I'm going to let, let John take it from there. Yeah, listen, I mean, I, I agree with you. I couldn't uh, agree more because the moment we met you, it was, uh, you could tell your personality right off the bat would, would mesh with ours. Um, you know, we've had other guys, as you had said, rotate through. And I think personality issues and, and differences. And you have to imagine, there are a lot of high-stressed individuals in this field. Yes. But you never showed it. You know, it was one of those things where we yeah. knew that you were being clobbered in residency and things like that, but you never complained. You, you know, and so I just think, uh, you know, you've had a great upbringing, great training, and you've still managed to maintain that human aspect that many of us don't have. Um, you know, we're thankful to have you. So. Again, thank you so much. Uh, we look forward. All of you uh, individuals that are looking for plastic surgery, listen, we've got a star here um, that knows new techniques that we haven't even uh, you know encountered yet. And so we're going to learn from each other, and I'm, I'm so excited for that. Uh, thank you so much to all our listeners. Uh, thank you for your feedback. 
Once again, this is Forever Young. I'm Dr. John Lakey. And I'm Dr. Payman Daniel Port. You can listen to us on your iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Peace. Bye, guys. From iHeartRadio, Forever Young is a Cavalry Audio Golden Hippo production. We are produced by Brandon Morgan. Josh Windish does our editing and mixing. Payment and I serve as executive producers along with Dana Brunetti and Keegan Rosenberger. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.